Welcome back to another episode of Crossing Broadcast. Thank you for joining us today. It's What Up Thursday. What up in the chat? What up, Kevin? What up, Craig? What up, Lee? What up, Ford? What up, Alex Day? How we doing, folks? Let's get into it. Bring on Kevin. Let's get this show started. What, what up? up? What up, Pagans? What, what up? What up, Kev? What up, Jose from Narstown? What, what up, up Eunice's? What up, uh, Craig's broken uh, audio amplifier on his computer that now he's going to be behind more than he typically is when he brings up tweets and stuff? What up? <laughs> I know Ford's wondering what's going on here. He said the timer is at 104, and it's already after 12. He wanted to know if you were taking a dump. I mean, the guy just complains. He complains, he complains, he complains. Typical, typical Celtics fan. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, Ford is a loyal listener here. I mean, we got to be careful with our callers, you know. Yeah, but that's the thing. Don't, oh, how dare you? Take that back. This is the thing, though. If <laughs> we don't, we we treat our listeners the exact same way we want to be treated. I think it's the golden rule. It's just the golden rule of life. It's the golden rule of podcasting. I don't want someone to yeah. come up to me and be like, "Oh, thank you so much. You're such a little good boy." Ford's Ford. He can handle it. He's a man. He's yeah. forty. He might be seventy. Do you have shitty Wi-Fi down there at the shore right now? You're, you were uh, lip-flapping for a little bit. Yeah, it looks like I'm on two bars right now. I'm down the shore here in Avalon, so I, I guess we're going to deal oh. with shitty shitty Wi-Fi. I'm down here at the app. Right, you sound good. You sound good. It's just a little... You know what lip-flap is? It's when you're ta- It's when the words are not... Uh, it's a television term. It's when you're talking, but you're, you're, the audio is not matching your, your, uh, the way your face is moving. You know. Kev, my my background's in recruiting. It's not in television. You know that. I do. I just I'm here to impart wisdom, though. I don't. You know, I'm not trying to be snooty or anything. Just like helping people. Learn. If we could learn something and have a laugh, then we've have a, had a great day. So that's, <laughs> you. That was like. Would you just go Jim Valvano on me right there? Yeah. Yeah. I want to do. I want to be more positive. On the broadcast, I want to be more positive going into this Eagles season. I don't want to have any toxic conversations with anybody. I don't want to get into uh, Jonathan Gannon arguments. I don't want to. I don't want to touch the <laughs> Trey Lance thing. Should the Eagles trade for Trey Lance? You know, should they? Should you? Should Tanner McKee be the backup? I'm not. I'm like going into this bird season very pragmatically, and I'm not. I'm not going to be derailed. Okay, first off, you're an idiot. It's going to take one. It's going to take one quarter for you to be derailed. Also, I see you're drinking the iced tea. You had that iced tea on last show. Is this the same iced tea? This is what I did when I was a skater, when I was a little skateboard rat back in the day. I just drank straight out of the the thing. Turkey. You didn't didn't answer my question. Is this the same iced tea from two days ago? Yeah. Has it been refrigerated? Oh, yeah. What do you think? I was just sitting here the whole time? No. No, we were little skate rats, man. We used to go up to we used to go up to Pennsburg, Upper Perk, and we used to bring like a Turkey Hill peach tea and just drink out of it. And we'd skate around the Upper Perk region. What a bunch of assholes we were back then! Yeah, yeah. Used to clobber those guys in basketball when we were in the Pac-10 at LC. Oh, they There's don't like, have any talent. Yeah, I mean, where are you pulling talent for? Nobody lives up there. A bunch you know? of farm boys. We used to look at that schedule and just put a W in red right over the schedule before we even played. <laughs> yeah, it's like Bumble, Bumblefuck or whatever, you know? So what do you want to – we got a good show coming up today, man. We got T-Mac, Tim McManus is coming on. Mm-hmm. Talk Birds. Mm-hmm. We got uh, Brian Heffron, the Blue Meanie. It's coming on. We're going to talk wrestling, everybody. Yeah. We're going to talk wrestling. Um, WrestleMania tickets sold out in like two seconds or, or something, right? And mm-hmm. uh, 
Terry Funk passed away, the legend Terry Funk. Coincidentally, yeah, I mean, we had Brian scheduled um, to come on, so he he wrestled with him. He could share some stories from him, and we'll get into all of it. We'll get into all of it. Yeah. What do you want to start with? That you want to do? Do we want to do Phils? We want to talk about the last couple games, the Giant series. I mean, I really don't have much about the Phils. <laughs> Bryce Harper's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> breaking news: the guy continues to be clutch. He's amazing. Trey Turner, you know, talked about how this is what he used to watch on TV last year, and that's why he wanted to come play here and everything. I went down. I'll say this. I went down to the ballpark on Tuesday. I hadn't been down in a while. Place was rocking, right? They got the Trey Turner walk-off. It it definitely – now, I hadn't been down a long time. It had probably been like seven or eight years, believe it or not. I don't know how. I don't know how. But um, Really? Seven or eight years? Yeah. You live in Fishtown for like five of those. I know. I don't know why. I don't know why I didn't get down to Citizens Bank Park. I mean, I was doing the Union Beat for a while, so I was always down there for work. You know, I was always going down to Chester, and then, uh, you know, I was working at Eyewitness News, you know, a lot too. So I'd be there like during, you know, nights and weekends and whatnot. So that would, you know, could be a conflict, obviously. But I mean, the place it did feel, it did start to feel. Kind of like when you got to that like ninth inning, even the eighth inning when Boehm hit into the double play. I'm talking about Tuesday night, not last night, Wednesday. Um, you felt vi- vibes of like it did feel like 09, 2010 at the ballpark. A lot of shit going on. So Angelo Cataldi was on the, the concourse. They had a star, it was Star Wars night. So like R2D2 was like beep, beep, booping around and Chewbacca, seven foot Chewbacca standing there too. You didn't yeah. get to enjoy, you didn't get to watch the broadcast, but I actually really enjoyed it. Um, I, I, I like when people do alternate broadcasts. I like when they go out to the stands. I like yeah. when they go out to the Ashburn Alley. I think it's just it kind of I know a lot of like the uh, old baseball seam heads are kind of like, well, I just want to hear baseball. I just want to hear play by play. But that's not the world you're living in right now. And there's a reason why, you know, this stuff works and they continue to do this stuff. I really enjoyed that broadcast. I could have used a little bit less Raj and Ben Davis. But I mean, who can't use a little bit of less Raj and Ben Davis? Um, mm-hmm. But they did, they, they did a really, really good job. So I know you've been critical on them in the past, but we have given their flowers when we need. And I thought they did a really good job. But going back to that, man, seeing seeing the camera from the center field wall, uh, MLB ballpark, I think, is what it does on Twitter. They do a really good angle of uh, a lot of uh, walk off hits or, or big plays and stuff. It looked like in October in Citizens Bank Park when yeah. Trey Turner hit that walk off. And imagine what it would have looked like yesterday if Bryce Harper hits that three-run home run and they win in extras. Like it would have been yeah. pretty 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 awesome. But it felt, you know, like it was funny because when Angelo came on, my dad and I were walking around the concourse and um he noted that he was on TV and I and I just popped on Twitter real quick. I guess the Giants scored like right as, as soon as Cataldi came on the broadcast. So the joke was that he was gonna he was gonna mush the Phillies and they were gonna lose, you know. But I, I it was funny because you're sitting there for like the fourth inning, fifth inning, sixth inning, whatever. And not not, not a, like you didn't feel anything in the crowd, no like trepidation of like, oh, they're gonna blow this. And nobody yelling at the players, nobody just kind of like a chill crowd who like gave off this vibe of like hey we know they're going to keep playing and they might do something in the bottom of the eighth or the bottom of the ninth and it was it was just like i don't know it, it felt it felt educated it felt like uh like people knew this this team and that something was probably coming yeah uh, for I mean, real yeah. I, I don't know how to describe it it wasn't yeah i mean people were just kind of like going through the even when bohm hit into that double play it was like whatever you know you have the thing with like cassianos and uh brandon marsh having that mix up in center field and some grumbling around us, but nothing crazy. And uh, I don't know. It's like just people kind of understand that this team is going to just 
keep playing and they'll probably get their opportunities and they'll make the most of them. I mean, and then they did two nights in a row, man. I mean, they oh, obviously they lost an extras, but you know, it feels, it feels different, man. It's hard to like describe. It's hard for me to like explain it in, in words, but you go down there. It's like, it feels like the Utley Rollins, Howard vibe you know, the crowds, you know, giving you that kind of vibe. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't say that like lightly, man. I mean, I don't take that lightly. Cause that was like pinnacle citizens bank park, but it's getting close. You think it's because you're sitting with the white collar people at the 100? Oh no, no. Well, I mean, we were in left field. It wasn't like, um, you know, we weren't sitting behind the plate with like the the Bernie Madoff people at the Mets and Yankees games. You know, it was like uh, <laughs> normal people around us. There was like families. There's kids. I mean, there were some diehards. Yeah, it's kind of a mix. I, I didn't get the. Yeah, yeah. My only thing with sitting in like we were we were in like 142. My only thing with like sitting there is that you can't see anything on the feet. You got the biggest freaking scoreboard on the planet, right? But you keep but you're sitting right underneath it. So it's weird. Every time there's a replay, people don't want to look off to the right field video board. They want to keep turning around and you know, you see the people in front of you stand up and turn around every time they want to look at the scoreboard. It just throws you off because you're like like oh is something happening in the crowd? Did somebody like throw something or is there like a fight going on? I'm like, oh no, they're just trying to crane their head to see the scoreboard you know which is a little weird um they could use another scoreboard uh, a replay scoreboard they have that one in left field that basically shows you everything that the the other scoreboard doesn't yeah. show which like batting average what they did last time like their 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 scoreboard positioning isn't the greatest uh you can't find the pitch speed all the time that's on like some small board as well as like what what the guy just threw and stuff there there's still yeah. stuff they have to do for that stadium but it's it's beautiful, man. I, I don't think that you. I mean, Citizens Bank Park has been around for like twenty some years now, right? And uh, I think you see so many of the same camera angles on television that you don't really get the the full, like just I don't know the full feel of the the stadium. You know, I mean, that's that's like a what is that's not a hot take. I mean, but but for example, like. You come you come in like in the outfield. Like say you come in like the left field entrance or something. You see like the wall. And you see the you know the brickwork and whatever, and then you see how that's that continues up on both sides. And you're looking back above the plate, you see the home of the Philadelphia Phillies below the press box and whatnot, like the the contiguous like brickwork on there too. They just, the 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 park just has a good feel to it, you know. That's kind of hard to I, I don't know. It's kind of hard to show all of that. You, you can show all these various different shots of Ashburn Alley and 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 whatnot, but like just I don't know. You got to kind of feel it you got to kind of be there to 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 realize like it's still like a top-notch place you know it doesn't it doesn't feel like a stadium that's two decades old at this point you know so did you go through the ai face recognition thing no no you know it's funny as to like what so what was the um what was the point of that to make it faster for you technically what was was the ultimate is is that like the gist behind it Mm -hmm. okay because it only takes two seconds to get it to get into the ballpark, you know, know. digitally already. So, so what? So what did they think that they did? They think they were speeding, speeding something up by doing that? No, I mean it's easier than ever to to get in. Like, why would you want to? Why would you want to do that in the first place? You know. So uh, no, it was a great experience. I, I mean, par- you know, parking and traffic and all that was a shit show. Of course, I mean it always is. It's funny because I was like, my dad and I probably, probably sat in the car as much as we. Uh, as much as we were, uh, for as long as we were actually at the game, it was like an hour and a half to get down there, like an hour and a half to get home. And so, um, I was like sitting there thinking about like, like the Sixers arena. I'm like, well, maybe there's something to this, uh, you know, mass transit, maybe just taking the train down. So I don't have to drive my truck an hour and a half and sit on, sit on the blue route and sit on, uh, 
sit on 76 where that where you know that stretch has been down to one lane for forever but um yeah uh, it was good it was a good experience man i mean i i you know like what their attendance is up like ten thousand up like ten thousand people this year on it, on um, it's gonna be and as like we were saying with bob on tuesday like it need, you needed a little bit for people to kind of like get get in and like realize okay this team's legit like we're back on the back on board now you know because that did because those those atmospheres really didn't start until like the play the playoffs last year, right? I mean, because they got they got in on like the like very end of the season, and people were still you know iffy on the fills and you know not knowing if they would be they would be it or not, you know. So yeah, four hours of hell. Do you want to bring Tim McManus on? Tim McManus from ESPN. Hey, what's up, brother? What's up, boys? Hey, what's going on? I so uh, the the last uh, did did the beat writers look forward to the end of the the preseason games as as much as we do? We've got Eagles Colts tonight. Are you are you? happy that it's concluding oh yeah yeah they, the preseason games are really hard to sit through i mean training camp's pretty good you get access at least to the practice that you don't get for the rest of the year so once it gets into regular season mode they basically give you 10 minutes out on the field where they're going through warm-ups and then they kick you out as opposed to training camp where they they have you stay the entire time and you get to document what's going on and uh you know what kind of Plays are running and who's making the the highlights and all those those kind of things. So that part's good, but actually sitting through the games, uh, yeah, it's just like anybody else. It's a it's kind of a tough watch. So anxious yeah. to see the real thing happen here pretty soon. Well, and I like too how you guys get the I don't know what's the rule for for the joint practices. You get to film like the first fifteen minutes or something like that. Is yeah, that yeah, a, somewhere something like that. Yeah. They and they give you a little bit of the the one-on-ones before they cut it off. At least they, they did yeah. for this, this last one. So that's nice to see. And then, then of course, once that period ends, the brawl takes place. So then all you guys can do is actually tweet about it and <laughs> explain what's going to win. Well, what was yeah. your viewpoint on that whole thing the other day? Yeah, that was a, that was a hard, that's a hard thing to document when 180 players are all like in a scrum. Like, how do you, how do you decipher who's, who's doing what? But that's exactly what it was. Like both sidelines had cleared and there was a, a bit of a buildup, I would say to that. It started getting chippier as the, the practice with the Colts went on and Derek Barnett, of course, being in the middle of one of those scenes where he got a little bit too close for comfort to Anthony Richardson and knocked the ball out of his hand some of the players took umbrage with that. So there was like a, you know, a little bit of a scuffle along the Colts sideline. And uh, yeah. And then once we started getting towards the end of the practice, you had Zaire Franklin hit Kenny Gainwell at the end of the play where like, that's not really within the realm of what the Eagles usually do. The amount of physicality that, that he came in with sort of at the end of the play there. And that caught Kelsey's attention. Kelsey was right in the middle of it in that moment. And then, Franklin comes back and he does it again. And then the next thing you see is 62 just flying across the field and blindsiding Franklin, like, just putting him down. That's that's the thing. With your other colleagues, do you talk about this where it's like, I can't believe we only get 15 minutes of film or 15 minutes of record? Because I know when I'm watching Hard Knocks at Florham Park, there's crowd everywhere. I'm sure videos are allowed to be taken at all times, correct? Like this isn't this isn't is this an industry standard around the NFL that they're only allowed 15 minutes to record? Then you got to put guess, your phone away. Yeah, but I guess where it's weird is is when you're at like an open practice at the yeah. lake because they can't police fifty thousand people yeah. from having their phones out. So when they tell you you got to stop, it's like 
why you know like you just so somebody yeah. else gets to to film it but but we don't i guess that's the one thing but when it comes to the novacare practices it's more controlled and so you have less people they're all sort of right along the sidelines and then security guys you know come around and and them along with media relations guys for the eagles and they say you know put your phones away and so people in the crowd aren't allowed to film either so they're there it's all fair i guess yeah. also like do you are you pro opening practice up like not the lehigh days i don't think they should have to go back to lehigh but i would say like go back to you know find another spot are you open more to like everybody being there because like me personally it's like a core memory of mine like getting autographs from guys coming out of the uh coming out of the parking lot and everything like do you care do you not care like i know you have a job to do i care i i um it bothers me that they only have one open practice to the Ooh, public like right. uh, why does it bother you and and that they charge for it like that's that that's, um, even i know it's just a charity i'm not saying you know it's not for a good cause but uh, but it's still, you know, taking money out of fans pockets and, and fans like as you saw with the, you know, the Kelly Green reveal, like we know how much this team will spend and how much they, they dedicate both their time and their money to this team. It's crazy. And then to have just one practice that people are allowed to go to um, for a fan base like this, to me, just doesn't make any sense at all. Um, and I, I really feel like the Eagles organization does a lot right, but I feel here it's a total disservice to the fan base. That's what I that's what I focus on most, the thing you said at the end there. Because Jeffrey Lurie is a guy who's like has that you know, the the emotional intelligence, right? The understanding of this like connection, this like fan bond and the, the cultural thing, you know. Um, so I think I think I don't know if it's the case anymore, but I think last year or the year before the statistic was like well, the Eagles are like one of only two teams that don't have a free open practice to fans or whatever, whatever that line was, you know. And so it was just weird to see them being the outlier because that's not that's not typical for the organization. You know what I mean? And I know that they've got there's row houses around there and you've got neighborhoods and there's limitations on what you can do it at Novacare. But I always felt like Lehigh and going back to Westchester back in the day were like a. I don't know, like like a rite of passage in a way for fans to like meet the players or like Derek Barnett signs his like sweaty wristband and gives it to your six year old or something like you know what I'm saying though these like impressionable kind of things that you lose out on because you don't. One have- of my favorite training camp memories was Javon Curse coming to a, a kid in front of me and he had his glove on. And he's like, "You can have my glove if you take the glove off." And this kid just this giant hand just comes in front of this kid's face could probably just palm this kid's face. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and that, but that, that's something I like, remember like, it, it's all, awesome. it was awesome. There's a, a level of intimacy that gets lost because up at, at Lehigh, uh, to your point, it's where you can actually touch the players and you can get close to the players. And there's restrictions at Novacare that that's why they do it with a, it's just select season ticket holders and, you know, sponsors and that kind of thing, because there's just not a lot of space for them to go to. So I get that. Um, but there's other ways around that. And the biggest one is, is just to, to have more opportunities at Lincoln Financial Field for these fans to, to get close to them. Um, when they you become such a big behemoth as the NFL has and as, as the Eagles have, like you can get away with that kind of stuff. You're, you're still going to have this huge following. Eagles fans are still going to pour out the money and their time and their dedication, but that doesn't mean it's right. I mean, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do something. And, and I think that there is uh, a missed opportunity here to, you know, to connect with the fans in a way that they deserve. 
So, Tim, when you um, go into this game tonight, Eagles-Colts final preseason game, I mean, is there anything meaningful that you're looking for in this or is there any positional battles that you feel like are unresolved or is this kind of uh, – like, like where's your head at going into this one? So, yeah, so just every position essentially has gotten settled between, you know, the start of camp and now with the exception of safety. Like, so linebacker and safety, as we know, were the two big question marks with both starters from last year departing in free agency. But it's it's now calming down on the linebacker front. You've seen N'Kobe Dean be the constant, and now it's Zach Cunningham, who has been working with him pretty steadily with the first team for the last, like, let's let's call it a week. And really seems like that's, that's where it's heading right now. Uh, safety is a little bit different where you have – Reed Blankenship as sort of that that one constant, but then it continues to be a rotating cast of characters around him. You've had Terrell Edmonds do it, Kayvon Wallace do it, rookie Sidney Brown has done it, and Justin Evans. And so you're still seeing all four of those guys working in with the first team all the way up to the, you know, to the last training camp practice. And so my eyes get uh, there first and foremost to see, you know, who the Eagles are rolling out there, what the what the pairings look like see if they can kind of come to some kind of conclusion, uh, you know, with this safety spot. That's that's first and foremost for me. Well, so what have you guys learned about Sean Desai and what he wants to do with the safeties? Is Are we looking at a lot of cover two, two guys hanging back there, single high safety, walking a guy down to the box? I mean, have you have you been able to kind of discern what what he's how he's going to be different or similar from Jonathan Gannon in that regard? Yeah, so I think defensive coordinators for the foreseeable future are going to be cut from a similar cloth and that they have to agree with a, a organizational philosophy that top priority has to be keep the big play off of us. Like they believe fundamentally that that is a big part of the equation to winning football games. And so part of the reason why, you know, Gannon was here and that you saw the philosophy that he had was you keep safeties back. Uh, you try to prevent that big play. And for the most part, it worked bitch at the wrong times but you know generally speaking you know was it was a working a successful formula for them and I think that you're going to see something similar with Desai where yeah it's going to be you know split safeties back there for the most part you're going to see I think more uh, zone than you're going to see man it's going to be like a like a match zone scheme where you know you're responsible and man-to-man as they come across and then it breaks out into a zone coverage I guess the the big question is like how much more aggressive will he be and how much more aggressive can he be under under those like confines? And so that's going to be his charge, as we saw with Gannon. You know, he got way too passive, um, especially against big time quarterbacks, uh, allowed them to dictate, allowed the, you know, the completion percentage to hover like close to 80 percent when he was going up against that level caliber player. And he's got less to work with. I mean, this defense isn't as good personnel-wise as the one that Gannon was was rolling with last year, uh, which could yeah. restrict him to a certain extent as well. So we don't have all the answers on the side. We're just getting like little pieces, uh, but I think it's going to fit into overall sort of like the organizational structure of let's make sure we're not getting burnt over the top. I, I think it's uh, – I'm glad that you – I mentioned that I'm kind of laughing because the thing that Kyle and I had talked about on here more than anything was like the Gannon shit and just the, the fans like not like vibing with it, uh, you know, complaints about being too passive or, um, you know, the two safeties deep or whatever. 
But but again, I mean, he was he was very clear, and they were very clear over the last two years that like they wanted to limit explosive plays, right? I think they were number one in the league or number two in the league at, 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 from throughout most of last season in limiting plays of twenty plus yards defensively. So I mean, what they set out to do philosophically works. So I would always say to people, I'm like, you can dis- disagree with what they want to do philosophically, but within the framework of what they've set up, I mean, they're being successful, you know? So it's like, it, it, it takes me into this conversation because there's like a portion of fans who just want Buddy Ryan back, right? I'm wearing the Kelly green hat from like 1989. Right. And, and I get that, like, you know, Philly sports fans want a certain kind of defense. They want the, they want Seth Joyner barreling through the line on every single play. And I don't, I don't blame you for that. that that's fine. But it just, it doesn't, it's just not what the NFL is right now. You know what I'm saying? So it's like you can you can you can have a, opinions. It's perfectly fine. I don't have any problem with anybody who's got that opinion. But you have to be able to to frame. You have to understand the modern framework of the NFL and just say like, it, look, it just ain't that anymore. You know? Right. Yeah. But having a defense that has almost like a passive posture is so anti Philadelphia right. and what the whole like brand of the Eagles is. Yeah. Yeah. But that's, that's what everybody hard. is. That's what everybody is. I mean, because you because you aside from like like Wink Martindale, right? I think the Giants played more man and probably blitzed more than anybody. I think that's how, at least that's how it was through like week 10 or 12 or whatever. But you know what I'm saying though? It's like separating like valid opinions that people have versus like trying to frame them within like, all right, well that can be applicable in this NFL versus not applicable. Just trying to help people understand like, I got no problem if you like Buddy Ryan's defense, but you just, the 46 defense, you can't play the 46 defense in 2023 you know sure i think maybe the middle ground is that like it's good to have that general philosophy to you know to your point like that's sort of what's working it worked well for philly last year 14 wins 70 sacks Uh, they did limit the explosive play so all that was successful it's just not being so married to it that you're not adaptable when things are going wrong and i and you know there's moments where you know, even if this is our you know big umbrella philosophy that you have to deviate from that, particularly if it's not working in game. And if you need to go attack and you need to go smash guys uh, and get after guys, and that's the way you need to do it. And so this this is an interesting thing for me because they draft Sidney Brown and their philosophy, as we just laid out, is to generally have safeties working as a last line of attack, like stay back, uh, you know, don't get too crazy. And Brown's kind of the antithesis of that. Like you see, you know, he is very much instinctual and he's a he hitter, is, man. Yeah. He's he a hard charging yeah. player. Like he, yeah. he sees it and he gets it. And I just wonder how, how all that fits in into that structure, which makes me think that, you know, early on, I don't know if he's going to start because I think he's going to have to learn like when to, when to push down on the gas and, and when to lay off of it a little bit. But what we did see in this, this most recent joint practice against the Colts was this red zone situation where Brown was deployed as the, as a starting safety in here. And, and the Colts try to complete a pass to, to, to their big tight end. And you just see Brown hard charging and popping them as soon as the ball got there and just dislodged the ball sent the player to the ground, like just, you know, one of those quintessential, you know, plays that you would think like a sort of like a B-Doc or, or Troy Palomalo type style. And that might be perfect way to, to ease him in is to to deploy him in like red zone looks where he doesn't have to worry about the, the ball going over his head as much. And he gets to kind of use that physicality and that instinctual type of play to his benefit. What have you seen from uh, Jalen Carter? Because obviously everyone's coming out and saying like, oh my God, he's a beast, he's a beast, he's a beast, all the players saying it. Is it, more, is it mostly just quotes or is it actually like you're seeing it in practice? No, it's real. 
It's <laughs> real. Yeah, it's it's super real. It's uh, it started out where it was just like occasional flash during the the beginning of the summer where you would see these plays where he was able to just you know bolt into the the backfield or whatever it was or you know you know dismiss the the blocker in front of him and so you would see that every once in a while but maybe he wasn't like the brightest standout of of a respective day in camp and then like as it started to go on more and more it's like he his dominance started to emerge more and I mean, you have to put it in context uh, that defensive tackles don't normally just come in and and wreck shop. And so, mm-hmm. like, we have to temper expectations a little bit for him. But at the same time, we're not accustomed to seeing defend, rookie defensive tackles step in and assert their will the way that Jalen Carter's been able to do it during camp. And so everybody saw that first preseason snap that he had against against yeah. Baltimore, and he just totally dismisses the guard and, and gets into the backfield like it was like it was easy. And then he's got the joint practice the very next day against the Browns and Joel Batonio, all pro guard, and and put him on his back. And yeah, so we've we've seen a lot of that. Like he his ability is is pretty crazy. And positive reports so far from the veteran players. The Fletcher Cox calls him every day. That's what Jalen Carter said to check in on him, check in on his weight, make sure he's good. And uh, he basically said that he's been quiet and he's been a sponge um, and hasn't been given any sort of back talk. And he said, that's exactly what you want to see out of, out of uh, a rookie. And so um, a long way to go before it's declared a success. I mean, I think people yeah. need to understand that, um, you know, there's a history there and, and he's got to show it over the long term that he can stay on the, on the straight and narrow, but yeah, what we're seeing on the practice field kind of um, kind of verifies you know, why he was considered, if not for the off the field stuff, like the prospect coming out of this class. I'd be, uh, you know, remiss if I didn't bring up Jalen Hurts. And um, I, I'm like, I'm kind of just a little wary of setting unrealistic expectations here. I, I think that's a little weird to say for a guy who was an MVP candidate and went to the Super Bowl last year. But, uh, you know, I'm aware that he's still very young and I, I we're not going to crown him the next uh Tom Brady uh, just quite yet. Um, so I think what I'm curious is, you know, obviously with Brian Johnson calling the plays and being the offensive coordinator this year, number one, and, and, and what does the, the pass run balance look like for, for, for Jalen? You know, I, I think like, I remember when McNabb came in at the beginning of his career, you know, he ran a lot more certainly during those first couple of years. And then there was a pivot where he, he was throwing the ball more. And I'm interested to see kind of, I think, what that looks like with, with Jalen this year, because I mean, his, his running was so important to what they did last year that really you're trying to balance, like, you know, keeping him, keeping him safe and not getting him injured versus like, look, I mean, that was like a key part of everything he did. So I'm just curious what you think about, uh, about Jalen hurts and what's like a realistic expectation for him. Yeah. So um, the first thing I'll say about is just the offense in, in general. Normally there's always, uh, that that tweet coming out of the defense is always ahead of the offense this this time of year and do, defense dominating and that never happened this training camp the offense has been uh, highly efficient uh, throughout the course of the summer and that's that's in large part due to Hertz who is like seeing it getting the ball out quick getting it to the right person and getting it to that person you know accurately. Um, I, I still remember the first time that I was watching him this summer um, and the, I like wrote down two words as I'm like watching them of, of what I was my impression. And it was it was accurate and effortless. And then I for a second, I was like, man, I can't believe I just wrote that. If you think back to even a year ago, 
where you think of more of like the mechanical yeah. thrower, not necessarily mm-hmm. known as an accurate passer. The fact that we've gotten to that point certainly speaks to the huge leap that he's taken. The fact that he had Brian Johnson uh, as his quarterback coach last year, who knows the offense, it's Sirianni's offense at the end of the day. There hasn't been, from what I can tell, any any hiccups in the transition from Shane Steichen to Johnson. So I think all of that's really going well. I think that the last point that you hit on is probably the the most important, Kevin, and that's like the the amount that he is running versus passing. He still is running a ton, a ton. Like he, if he doesn't, you know, if, if something is not there, he breaks it off with his legs. There's a lot of designed runs that they have been running throughout the course of training camp. And I guess maybe I shouldn't be surprised because you know, even when Hertz got his mega deal and then Sirianni takes the podium, he said, we didn't pay him more to do less. And then Hertz, when when he's asked about it, he talks about the value of being a triple threat and his his legs being a big part of that equation. And but you know you measure that against the fact that you know, he obviously had the shoulder injury at the end of the year. He's had high ankle surgery on on both ankles dating back to college now. Um, and the stats that I dug up uh, are this: so that uh, the most times a, a quarterback has been contacted over the last two seasons. You know, Hertz is number two behind only Josh Allen with 375 quarterback contacts or times that he's been hit over those two years. Most designed rushes by quarterbacks over the last two seasons. Jalen Hurts, 173. The next closest, Lamar Jackson at 148. So he's so the coaches are putting him are exposing him uh, more than any other quarterback in the NFL. He's getting hit the second most out of any quarterback in the NFL. And he's got now what is a a building um, history of injury. And it doesn't look like they're doing anything different. Now, maybe regular season comes and it's, that's not the case. Um, And if so, then fine. But, but I, um, that's not what I'm expecting based off of what, what we're seeing at camp. And so it's obviously something like any one thing that would derail the season would be an unavailable Jalen Hurts. I got to go back and look at it, but I remember like halfway through last season, Jalen Hurts read, led the NFL in red zone rushing attempts, which is like crazy. When you th- I mean, you know, you think about all, all the like Derrick Henry and all these other guys that they could hand the ball, but he was that he was so key to to what they did in that regard, right? It's like how do you how do you you know go away from that? Kyle, what else you got? Anything else, man? Uh, any surprise cuts? Any surprise guys you got making the team? I mean, look there's not to? a whole. There's not a whole lot of room for surprises i don't think i don't like the yeah. i have the four running backs making it i don't think trey sermon is going to end up making it i don't have like one of these um young wide receivers jumping on the 53 man i just especially when you're talking about like you know there's gonna be a third quarterback now it appears and Tanner mckee that's going to be on the roster it limits some of what you can do so i'm just expecting the four running backs five wide receivers um, you know, the only, I guess, level of intrigue is like linebacker. Nicholas Morrow came in projected as the starter on the, my 53 man, which is coming out later tonight. I don't have him on the team. You know, I think he's kind of bubble. Maybe he makes it. But, you know, when I was doing cuts, I didn't have I didn't have him on it. And then uh, defensive back. It's like now that Zach McPherson is off, it, it opens up a spot for like, a, let's say, Mario Goodrich. Okay. I uh, have yeah. on there. So that's those are the only ones. But when you're talking about a roster that's just stacked up, there's not a, a ton of room for for huge yeah. surprises. I don't think. Did you uh, did you notice how somber the press box was last week after Bruce got canceled? <laughs> <It> was, <laughs> yeah, there was there's a few tears shed 
Uh, you Bruce guy? Quiet night. I'm not. I'm not like that. Like that. Not like I that. Like I've that. seen him once live. Yeah. My wife and I went a couple years ago. Saw him. He was great. But I don't. You're, I'm not like a big. You know. Yeah. You're not in the front row. Not in the front row with John Clark and Kevin Cooney. Don't yeah. worry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All time video. Oh man. Hey Tim, have fun. Uh, another training camp down, man. Uh, good luck tonight, and uh, we'll be reading you. Can't wait for that 53. We appreciate you coming All right. on. All right, gentlemen. Always my pleasure. Talk to you soon. All right. Talk to you. See you, brother. All right. Let's get right into the next guest. You want to just go right in? Am I coming through okay? You're coming through okay. Yeah. You know who else is coming through okay? We got Brian Heffer on the Blue Meanie. <laughs> wow. show. What's up, brother? Hey, what's going on? I, I was just thinking uh, Kyle should call back into that San Francisco stage and remind him that Philadelphia <laughs> has eliminated San Francisco from two sport playoffs now. Yeah. Yeah, we are hot right now. We are really hot right now against San Francisco. It's great. That's right. That's right. It's great. Yeah. yeah, you're a big Philly sports fan, Brian, aren't you? You're like a Philly Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, born born Philly. Uh, my grandfather raised me right when the sports. He taught me uh, He taught me about sports, and he taught me how to swear during sports, Yeah. how to, how to properly swear at the TV. And yeah. how, do you, how does one properly swear at the TV? You no good goddamn son of a bitch and bastard. You dropped the ball. Sounds <laughs> yeah. about right. We used, my you, dad used to have Jesus, the, the rubber Mary brick. And Joseph. I had the rubber brick too growing up. Did everyone have the rubber brick? Yeah. No. Yeah. Oh. We had the we had the it was called the uh the bad call brick. It was just mm-hmm. like a rubber thing with an Eagles logo on it, and you threw it, but you can't throw it at the TVs now because they're like uh you know, the smart TVs, the thin mm-hmm. TVs. You threw it at the big old clunky piece of shit, right? You know. Oh, yeah. When McNabb threw a worm burner into the ground, you know, that's when we would. Um, Wait, a good thing you have a drinking game for that. You know, just. <laughs> there should have been. So what would your, what would your, your, uh, your um, grandfather and uh, have told you about uh, a standing ovation for Trey Turner? <laughs> my, my, uh, my grandfather was a, was a hard man. He uh, showed very little emotion. He worked in the docks of Camden and he, 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 he worked in a chemical plant for 27 years they gave him asbestosis to see uh fans stand up when a man is failing at his job uh i don't know how he would have taken to that uh <laughs> there weren't there weren't a lot of standing o's on the docks of Camden. you're saying no nah, nah, no nah. nah. i think we know how he would have reacted to that yeah i think that's yeah. a very we can follow the clue the trail of context clues there um well listen man we're happy to have you on i you know oh, we have you. like we um you know, we have like a list of like people that we want to get on. I'm like, we got to get Brian on at some point. Yeah. Here. We're looking for like a, we don't need a particular reason. Right. But I thought it would be anything, man. Yeah. I, I, but I got bullshit about anything. Well, there you yeah. go. I, I know I, about 30% of a little bit of everything. And that gets me through it where I could go. Oh yeah. And I heard about, and then yeah, let somebody else pick up the rest. Well, that's good. Those are our favorite good. guests. Cause we can just you know, meander our way through whatever <laughs> bullshit. And then, and then the guest just kind of runs with it. But, but apropos is that WrestleMania tickets. Yeah. I guess went on sale last week. What was the gist pagan? They sold out in like two seconds or, or they sold 90,000 and they set mm-hmm. gate records, I think with, with millions and millions of dollars. Uh, and the last one that was set, I believe it was WrestleMania the year before. So they set these, these records, they went on for five hours between the pre pre-sale. And then there was a pre-sale and they went on But between all those. They they sold ninety thousand, and the brand is stronger than ever. Yeah, uh, just when everybody tries to count WWE out, and you know they're talking about ratings and everything, uh, WWE setting gate attendance records. You know, uh, it's, it's amazing how much money that company makes. 
But uh, most importantly, when WrestleMania comes to a town, the city benefits from, you know, the, the not only WWE coming in town, but uh, the whole wrestling community converges on that city for that week. So we'll have, you know, WWE in town, but then we'll have like every major independent wrestling organization running shows every day from at least Wednesday to Sunday. And, uh, you know, that's hotels, that's, you know, uh, restaurants, that's Ubers, that's everything. You know, everybody will benefit. The city of Philadelphia will uh, make a lot of money when WrestleMania comes to town. What they do with it, but, uh, yeah, the the city will be making a lot of money uh, when WrestleMania comes back, which has been overdue. There's been, there's been plenty of times, I'm sorry, real quick. There's been plenty of times where I like, I'm not aware that maybe there's like a, a big wrestling event going on or whatever. Then my Twitter timeline, I just see people like tweeting about it. And I'm like, oh shit, have, have I like just underrated the, the popularity of, of the, of WWE and AEW and, and everything that's out there. I mean, it, it does kind of fly. Does it fly under the radar a bit here because of the whole four for four, four thing? I think, um, there's so much wrestling on TV now. Uh, you got Monday Night Raw, which is three hours. You have AEW. Well, AEW has five hours. They got two hours on Wednesday. They got an hour on Friday. They got Now they got two hours on Saturday. WWE has three hours on Monday, two hours on Friday. Then there's Ring of Honor. Then there's Impact Wrestling. Then the, the, all these companies are on TV. Sometimes, sometimes, sometimes there could be a little bit of burnout where or you know you just go it's like baseball you know uh there's not everybody does baseball versus football there's more urgency when there's football because there's less games yeah. if you miss a baseball game you go oh there's 162 you know if you yeah. if you miss monday night raw you go oh well there's smackdown i can get my wrestling feed you know when i was a kid growing up we didn't have all this wrestling so i was like a you know you know, flipping the channels, looking for wrestling every Saturday morning, like a junkie, you know, but now there's so much wrestling. You could just, there's no, no urgency to watch it because you know, there's something else the next day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you can, and then you, you, like you said, all the indie circuits that are around the city and around the region and stuff, you can, you can get more than your fill of, uh, of wrestling and whatnot. What, what um, do you think ECW will be involved in the, uh, the WrestleMania promotion in April? Uh, that's my hope. Um, okay. You know, uh, I've, uh, as I wear my ECW shirt today, uh, I've, I've, you know, I've put it, made it known on social media that it would be criminal if ECW, there wasn't some kind of ECW tribute, mm-hmm. WrestleMania, as it comes back to Philly, Philly because last time WrestleMania, uh, well, to set the picture, anytime WrestleMania goes to a town, they usually do an homage to that town, like, in Georgia, they put the Freebirds in, or in Texas, they do the Von Erics. You know, come to Philly, ECW makes sense because last time WrestleMania was in Philadelphia, ECW was still around. Uh, ECW uh, was still running, you know, up and, up and running in the 99, wasn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah. So now that, you know, w, now that ECW is, you know, defunct, WWE owns it, 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 would, it would be... It would be more than fitting for them to do a, an ECW tribute while they're in Philadelphia. Maybe a BWO Hall of Fame induction. I uh, I would not, I would be available. 
Uh, <laughs> hey man, it's that, that's not for me to decide. Uh, it's kind of like giving yourself a nickname. You know, it's kind of like corny. If somebody goes, I deserve to be in the Hall of Fame, probably don't if you have to say it. Uh, <laughs> but, but if you don't Drew, talk about it, if you don't talk about it, then it's never going to happen. Oh, yeah. So I, you don't have to ask for it. I'll ask for it. Vince, I, please contact the Blue Meanie and the BWO guys and get them in. Where did uh, where did Blue Meanie come from? Um, I was, uh, it's about a year and a half into the wrestling business, and I ran into Raven and Steve Richards on a couple shows. Mm-hmm. There's three shows that were key to my career. There's a show in Baltimore, show in West Virginia, and then a show in Pittsburgh. And Raven and Stevie were on those shows, all those shows. And then uh, it was the Pittsburgh show. Raven decided to watch my match. And it was a crappy match. I was wrestling a guy who was doing a Batman gimmick. And, uh, <laughs> you, know, the, you know, there's the, the local wrestler who always – he was sometimes he was doing sometimes he was Batman. Yeah. He goes, "Hey kid, uh, you know the more they pay me, the more I bump, and uh, they haven't paid me all that much, so I'm not bumping." And I was like, "Oh, well, there's a lesson, you know." He's like Krusty the Clown. Yeah. And so uh, I, I wrestled the match. I did my uh, moonsault off the top rope, the backflip, and then I went to watch the rest of the show as I was taught. And uh, I watched Raven have his match. He came back from his match, and I said. Oh, hey, uh, Raven, nice match. He's like, hey, nice moonsaw. I was like, oh, he watched my match. So the next day we went to have lunch. And he pitched the idea for me of being Stevie Richards' lackey because Raven was his lackey. He wanted me to be a lackey to a lackey. And uh, long story short, uh, there was a, you know, a, a road trip we were on. And he uh, said, hey, kid, you ever see that cartoon, The Yellow Submarine by the Beatles? I was like, yeah, when I was a kid. He's like, remember the blue meaning? I was like, sort of. He's like, we're going to go home. We're going to watch the Yellow Submarine. And we did. We, we got to his house. We ate for Blockbuster Open. We watched the Yellow Submarine. Uh, sober. And then uh, <laughs> we fast forwarded to all the blue meanie parts. And then he had me stand up in the middle of his living room. And he would say, blue meanie, do a promo on toilet paper. Do a promo on this, that, and the other. And I became the blue meanie. And then he pitched <laughs> me to Ollie. And then uh, November to remember '95, I uh, the Blue Meanie debuted for uh, ECW. Nice. My, my life was uh, never the same. And it, the way I debuted, they had me sitting in the crowd as a fan at first Steve Richards, and then Stevie uh, brings me over to Garrow. To me, that was very um, a cer- ceremonial because yeah. you know that was like me going from being a fan to a wrestler because mm-hmm. I used to sit in the crowd at ECW before I went off the train to become a wrestler. So it was only fitting that, you know, that's how I debuted. So I'm 30. So I was born in 93. So ECW, in. <laughs> ECW passed me by. Like I was seven watching, you know, the attitude era and everything. I never really got into ECW till so later. Nice. Talk to people about what, not even just being in ECW, but like sitting in the crowd of ECW, like one of my favorite videos to go back and watch is when they took the chairs and they just threw them all into the ring. There had to be almost a hundred chairs and just buried. I feel like Terry was in that was in that match, if I'm not mistaken. Peace, Terry Funk. Yeah, rest in peace, Terry Funk. Um, yes, for charity, they, they more than obliged. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so talk about what what it was just being like in there as a young kid watching and then finally getting in the ring and just performing in front of these these crazy crazy people. Uh, I think that's why I connected with the fans as a wrestler too. Cause I was that crazy fan, you know? Um, 
you know, when Prism turned into, uh, you know, rest in peace, Prism too. Uh, that was my favorite channel growing up. Prism became Sports Channel Philadelphia. They needed programming and they got ECW, which was on, I believe, every Tuesday at six. And uh, I would watch every week. And then uh, my friends who lived out of town would ask me to take the shows and mail it to them. But then I started going to the shows. And going to ECW shows as a fan, it was so interesting it was so and like any other wrestling show i'd been to you know i've been to ww at well wwf at the time those shows were pretty tame you mm-hmm. know uh you could tell they had their set structure and but you went to ecw there's always that element of danger um i i, I compare there's the analogy i do for ecw uh ecw was one part the movie slap shot one part the movie major league and when it came to the crowd, we, the crowd was the Rocky Horror Picture Show because <laughs> yeah. they knew everything about every character. They knew what to say, when to say it, and all that stuff. You know, uh, one time, I, one of my first ESW shows, I'm sitting there, you know, it's pre-show. I'm sitting in the bleachers. I'm waiting for the, the show to start. There's this guy, big, massive, like six four guy, and he's yelling up at, you know, uh, either Axel Rotten or one of the members of Public Enemy yelling at him and we all called him manson because he looked like a, a lunatic so the he's yelling at them and the pitbulls come out from behind backstage throw a chain on him and they all start fighting with this guy <laughs> i'm fucking real is he just a fan is he a wrestler who just is this a fan guy? yeah they called, they called him manson but like the guy looked like he can yeah he, i am the brute squad uh you know he, he, he was like this big guy i wouldn't have fucked with him but like yeah. it just became this big fight you know there's like there's so many characters you know there's ecw hat guy and all that stuff but then to go into the watch the shows and then be in front of that crowd there, there's no drug if you could bottle that drug <laughs> adrenaline and we trust me there's plenty of drugs in ecw but if you can <laughs> you can bottle that and sell it that that adrenaline rust the, the cool thing about you is like the crowd was right on top of you. You go to the WWE event, everybody's spread out, you know, 20,000, but you're in a room that's supposed to hold 1,200, and there are 1,700 in there, you know, depending on, you know, which part <laughs> we've decided to break that night. Yeah. It was just like an atmosphere. It was like a concert. It was like a improv. It was just like everything you could ever, ever imagine. And, uh, you know, to make my day... I've had such a, a great career where I debuted for ECW in Philly, debuted for WWE in Philly, had my WrestleMania moment in Philly. So I'm hoping for one more WWE yeah. moment in Philly. My uh, favorite thing about ECW and Craig, you can pull that pull that uh, clip up in a minute. But um, <laughs> it always felt it felt like um, I talked to a lot of like musicians who say that when they're on stage, they feed off the energy of the crowd and like, it kind of goes back and forth. Like it's a reciprocal kind of thing. I don't know if I would call the ECW crowd an educated crowd, but they understood what you guys were doing and they were very responsive to it. And they knew, Hey, that took a lot of athletic ability or that was frigging crazy or whatever. And they, they let you know that, you know, they applauded, they stood up. They were very much, like just dialed into what was going on craig you can play that youtube video if you have it and like i think this is like one of the best examples too because when you guys debuted the bwo like this was the first thing right like nobody knew anything about it no at this point right that that was our night that we debuted the kid who falls over the uh that kid who just (laughs) fell that's uh chris candido's brother johnny (laughs) 
But so he, then they, and we got the volume down on this, but the crowd just starts chanting BWO. They don't know what the fuck this is, they're, but they're, they. It was supposed to be a one night thing. Yeah. Oh, really? This was, it was just like a. Yeah. If you notice, we have airbrush shirts. We didn't have shirts made. And we, that was supposed to be a one night deal. And uh, we won't go back to the locker room and Paul, Todd Gordon and uh, Paul Hamill go, I think we got something here. Uh, yeah. I think we're going to go with this. Well, and I like how here you grabbed the mic and you said like five words. Uh, That's all you need. Say hello to the blue guy. Hey, and cheap. then the crowd. Say hello to the blue guy. <laughs> I was oozing blue cheese, Mo. <laughs> but I, you know, it's, it's funny because I, I like when I watch like AEW. I have a now, chicken bone behind my ear. The chicken bone, yeah, because yeah. uh, that, is that what that was a chicken yeah, yeah. bone behind the ear? Scott awesome. Hall had the toothpick, right? And yep. so that was his, his thing, and he'd throw the toothpick or whatever. Yeah. And um, sometimes there's a Twizzler. I don't know. So, who's Stevie Richards supposed to be here? Yeah, Kevin Nash. Oh, okay. Kevin Nash. Okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, but I, you know, it's funny because you watch like. You know, when I, when I grew up watching wrestling, it was like during the like Razor Ramon and, you know, Undertaker era, like back, back in the day or whatever. And like we watched it with our parents and it was like, oh, this is entertaining, you know, but but we didn't. There's like this endless crowd element now. Where I think the crowd is more educated to the point where like they know when something was amazing or they know when somebody pulled off some crazy. It's just like a more. I don't know how to describe just a more like responsive crowd like they understand like what they're watching now you know when, when it comes to that ecw crowd in south philly those folks are the descendants of the people who boot santa claus you know we were the guys who held up the signs you know tell it to the czar at the flyers game uh you know they you know this flyers had their sign guy we had our sign guy yeah. you know just it, that the reason why ecw couldn't have happened in any other city but philadelphia is because the philly sports fans you know, those are the same people like my grandfather who would yell at the TV. <laughs> Even if you lost, if you showed effort, we cheered you. Yeah. You know, in ECW, if you messed up, if they could sniff you out, like, you know, like a fart in church, if you mm -hmm. weren't in the effort and you didn't last long. They knew they up. knew what was authentic and they knew what was yeah. inauthentic. Yeah. And that, that that's where the Philly sports crowd comes in because they're the same people. I mean, people go, oh, pro wrestling's predetermined, you know, fine. I preferred fixed, you know, you know, it's a fixed sport, you know, where really the only thing that's fake is the outcome because all of it hurts. But, uh, you know, yeah. when it comes to you know, the fan reaction, it's it's the same people who were, you know, in the 700 level, you know, yeah. but they were watching pro wrestling that night. Yeah. So that's, and, and, and the Philly, I'll put the Philly sports fans knowledge against any sports fans knowledge because we, we watch our sports. It's our escapism. It, you know, takes us into this fantasy land. So we don't have to think about our day jobs or, you know, this thing's going on. I'm having to fight with that person. But for those three hours, you have Phillies flyers, Sixers, Eagles, Union, ECW. You know, mm -hmm. ECW was the fifth sports team in, in Philadelphia, and I was their Philly fanatic. Did did any of the athletes ever come, or did they ever get into, like, was Dutch ever there? Were, like, the 93 guys, like, ever, like, did anyone ever walk into the arena or be a part of the show ever? Uh, there was a – it wasn't ECW, but there was a, a, a race car driver. Hermie Sadler ran a show there. Hmm. And uh, Mitch Williams was there and <laughs> Mitch got in a ring with Steve Carino and they did like, a, it, I think it's on YouTube too. Uh, mm -hmm. They cut a promo back and forth. And I think Mitch 
manage somebody that Steve Carino wrestled that night. Okay. But I, I got a photo with I, I was I was geeking the fuck out. I was like, holy shit, match. match. I got went and got a photo. Yeah, I got a photo. I hardly geek boy. I, you know, I tried to you know play cool, but that that time I was like, Mitchie Poo, you know just. <laughs> But it was it's, cool to see him and the Carino in the ring, and Carino brought up, you know, Joe Carter and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, of course they did. Hey, um, what, what's your best uh, Terry Funk story or, or just memory of him? Oh, my God. Uh, all of them. But um, I was telling this, uh, my favorite bar in South Philly's McCuskers, and I went there last night to kick back a few and just think of Terry, and <clears throat> he gave back to so many young talent. You know, when the veterans, you know, the, the, the gatekeepers of the business would not let you in. Terry's like, oh, come on, let's, let's, let's have some fun. And, uh, you know, when I first went to ECW, uh, I was sitting in a locker room and <clears throat> I was doing, doing as I was taught. You know, I sat there with my mouth shut, ears open. Tommy Dreamer comes over to me and grabs me by the arm and leads me. I was like, oh, I'm in trouble. And then he's, he brings me over to Terry Funk. And Terry Funk goes, hey, Blue Meanie. Oh, son of a bitch. I love the Blue Meanie. Uh, Blue Meanie, you need to go down to the junkyard. Get yourself, a, get yourself a blue car. Get a big old piece of shit. Get a blue car. And, and, and drive that car to the show. And people go, hey, look, there's the Blue Meanie in the blue car. And I put a big B on the side of it. You know, Blue Meanie with the big car, blue car. And, the and he's like pitching these ideas. And I'm just like. This is the same Terry Funk that put a, a plastic trash bag over Ric Flair's head to try to smother him to death, giving me tips on my character. Yeah, <clears throat> but he did that with everybody in the locker room. He'd look in the little around the locker room. Hey, there's Axel Nee and Ryan. They could be my uh, my henchmen, you know. And anybody who was associated with Terry Funk, their stock rose because mm-hmm. Terry put their his stamp of approval on them. And he did that with so many different wrestlers that it's. And talk about a wrestler who has who's had different eras. Uh, I, I have to say this, or I, I, I feel guilty, but to me, I, I do this analogy, and I, I, I'm sticking to it. Terry Funk was like the George Carlin of professional wrestling. If you watch, see them come out in the '60s, they got the brill cream hair, the suit, and the smile. And then as the '70s came along, they grew their hair out. There's, I was watching an interview with Terry, and Terry had cornrows at one point. <laughs> You know, that's Terry, you know, but like he became more counterculture to the traditional wrestling, much like George Carlin in the seventies and eighties. And they were always relevant because they always kept up with the times, you know, when, you know, you know, everybody's talking about when Bob Dylan went electric, well, when Terry Funk did a moonsault, you know, he was kept keeping up with the times, you know, yeah, but that was my favorite thing about Terry Funk, because I don't, I don't know how many people realize that when he came to ECW, he had already been wrestling for like 20 years. Like he was like a, like he was like a 50 year old. Might've been 25, 30 years by that point. Yeah. 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 I mean, so he's, here's this guy in his fifties. Who's like in a barbed wire match with Sabu. Yeah. That was, <laughs> yeah. That was yeah. the crazy, one of the craziest things, uh, Terry Funk and Bob, uh, Sabu rolling around the barbed wire. They literally had to stop the match because they became too entangled in the barbed wire. Yeah. And they had to go out there with cutters and, and cut, to, yeah. cut them out. <laughs> so I'm sitting there, I'm sitting in the, in the locker room, this young kid just like watching, you know, a medic uh, stitch up Sabu's arm yeah. while he's, on the other hand, he's 
crazy gluing his other wounds shut with crazy glue. Like he would pinch it, pinch it shut. It would the crazy glue. <laughs> <and> the- what? <laughs> and I, like- got, I, I got to imagine some of the stuff behind the scenes had to oh, be yeah. absolutely insane. I mean, first of all, let's just call spade a spade. The ECW arena was just held together with with masking tape and, uh, and, and, and glue. And then you had your people in the back, the EMTs and stuff like you just said, picking that. And then Terry's over here doing the super glue and everything. What was that like going from ECW to WWE where like they fly you everywhere? You know, you have like some of the best medics in the game. The craft table must be insane. I mean, could you imagine a craft table at ECW? Like they'd be like, get the hell out of here. I got to go put barbed wire in, uh, in Cactus Jack's forehead. Our, our, our uh, catering, uh, there was a ring announcer, Bob Ortiz and his wonderful wife, Lex would bring Twizzlers and cupcakes <laughs> and apples. That was our catering. And, you know, nice. Like I said, the Twizzlers would be uh, some of my, my, my props or whatever. But uh, at ECW Locker Room, the cool thing about the ECW Locker Room, and uh, it, it was, it, we, were, we were the land of misfit toys. Mm-hmm. We're the, we were the wrestlers that nobody else wanted. Oh, that guy's too short. That guy's this, that, that guy's fat. Blah, blah, blah. But somehow we all came together and created this thing that, you know, it was like the Haley's Comet of, of wrestling. It only shined for like a brief second, but all those people who saw it with their own eyes or still talk about to this day, uh, you know, to go from that to WWE, which was, kind of, I mean, I had a little taste of it when ECW invaded raw to mm-hmm. promote, promote our, uh, mm-hmm. first pay-per-view, uh, barely legal, but yeah, it was a big difference. I always say this, you know, to, you know, I've, I have a couple of kids I've coached, you know, that are out there in the, in the wrestling world. And I said, doesn't matter what you did before it, you know, you could be the coolest eighth grader once you go to high school. You're a freshman. Mm-hmm. You'd be the coolest senior in high school, but once you go to college, you're a freshman. You can be the coolest, you know, the big man on campus in college. But once you graduate, now you're either a rookie in the NFL or an intern or this that. You're always reestablishing yourself. And when I went to WWE, I realized I had to reestablish myself. And you know, yeah, I wish I could put my 50 year old mind mind in that 23 24 year old body and there's so many things i could have done better i did there's a lot of things i did right but there's a lot of things i could have done better and what's Brian, one um, what's sorry what's one that you would have done better uh you know been more um persistent you know uh you know you go to the wwe and you think hey these guys write everything for everybody mm-hmm. but a lot of times you have to pitch stuff for yourself and I did pitch stuff for myself, but I didn't pitch. I don't think I pitched enough Yeah. to where, you know, Hey, how about this? Hey, how about this? How about, you know, I was, I was too afraid of being annoying to the point where they go, Oh, we got to get rid of this guy. He's up our ass. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You gotta be your own. You gotta be your own best advocate, you know? Yeah. But but, but not to the point where it's like, you know, too much. I actually have a question. Um, Coggin wants to know, um, if um what did what did vince mcmahon think about the meanie gimmick at first and um if if there was any other pitch on something different there um it's funny you say that because i was just thinking about this uh when Mon- ecw evaded monday night raw uh we did our thing in a ring and then after the show paul had us all line up and uh, meet vince at the uh the gorilla position for those who don't know about wrestling. The gorilla position is the position right before they go through the curtain. It's named after gorilla monsoon because he's a producer and he was always be there. Oh, he's in the gorilla position. So we go to meet Vince. It sounds <laughs> like, like a yoga move. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Uh, and it was like meeting the Pope, you know? So uh, Paul introduced so-and-so and he gets to me, he goes, uh, Vince, this is the blue meanie. He goes, <laughs> meanie. And that was, was like, a good impression. That was a good yeah. impression. Uh, you know, meanie. Uh. Um, <laughs> and that was like kind of cool. But then I just recently watched that episode and there's like a moment, like right before the show ends, he br Vince brings me up again. He's like, if you're not getting, he says to Jerry Laura, if you're not careful, I'll bring the blue meanie back out here again or something like that. I was oh, like, yeah. this is so crazy. But uh, I'm sorry, what was the question? I've no, he just, he wanted to know like what Vince thought about the character and if there was a, a pitch either way to, to for something different. I think the, the fact that they, they didn't create my character uh, gave it, it was a problem, not in a bad way. Just they didn't know what to do with it. Oh, okay. uh, there's a, a, a writer who uh, named Tommy Blotcha. He used to write on Conan O'Brien and he was writing for WWE at the time. He infamously was the EMT who gave birth to uh may young's hand uh, <laughs> uh so uh he comes up to me and goes no vince says you know i like meanie but we just gotta figure out what to do with him you know mm -hmm. and then there was a moment in um 2000 they sent me down to memphis because the, they had acquired not acquired but they partnered up with memphis championship wrestling go down there figure out a new character maybe and come back up and here's another you know talk about regrets I went down to like at the time they asked me to lose weight. I lost 160 pounds. I went from Woo. went from 390 to 240. So I was this whole new guy. So if they brought me back, if they brought me back to the TV, I'm this new guy because I look totally mm -hmm. different. I wish when I was in Memphis, I had pitched the idea of becoming like an on-air personality, like an interviewer behind the scenes, mm -hmm. just something, you know, just to all. I don't care what it is as mm -hmm. long as I'm doing something in wrestling. I love mm -hmm. wrestling, but you know, prepare for behind the scenes you know yeah. I, you know you see all these guys who go on to becoming announcers producers this that and the other thing i would love to do that you know just i think i can, can give back to uh the wrestling business mentally you know uh you know some of my my some of my protégés I, I i hate saying students but they're protégés matt riddle i coached him mm -hmm. a priest um steve macklin in impact wrestling uh you know i got i got a bunch of kids ian riccaboni who does uh play by play for mm -hmm. uh ring of honor slash aew well there was a lot of people too who were just like I, I, the one thing about ecw is i don't want people to to look at it look back at it and just have this impression that it was only about the crazy shit and the hardcore stuff and the singapore right. game and stuff they were great wrestlers in the promotion even guys who like were not like your tazes and your rob van dams or whatever but even just off the top of my head like Stevie Richards, I thought was underrated. Like, yes. like Mikey Whipwreck. Um, yeah. You're like your Jerry Lynn's and your Chris Candidos. Um, mm -hmm. Like, like uh, just incredible. And like Mike Awesome. Like these are, these were like solid guys, you know? Yeah. And, and like, they, like, so ECW, I always thought was more than, it was known for all the crazy hardcore shit, but it was like, they, these guys were like really good athletes, really good wrestlers. I think like a lot of stuff fell, can fall through the cracks when you're making that wwf at the time tr transition where again like you like you were saying it's like well we didn't create these characters we didn't like the genesis of this was not us so it's kind of hard to to meld that all together i guess i think i think the the thing what you said people watch see the sizzle reels the commercials the thing that the thing they show on tv to get into the building but once you're in the building they show you you know jerry lynn versus rob van dam you know uh Chris, like you said, Chris Candido, yeah. uh, 
Tommy Rogers from the Fantastics would be in there putting on a, a great match. Dude, I got to wrestle. Me and Nova got to wrestle Tracy Smothers and Little Guido every night. Yeah. It, yeah. yeah. Hey, man, what's your deal? Why do I hate you? There's your family. Since hey, since I'm on a, a Philly centric thing, man. um, would one of my favorite ECW stories. I have to tell the story. Uh, we used to run the Lulu Temple in Plymouth Meeting, and then I think it got sold, so we didn't run anymore. So, we, but we needed a building in Plymouth Meeting. So there's the National Guard Armory in Plymouth Meeting. So we run there, our first and last show ever. It was uh, Mischief Night 98-ish, and uh, we go there. Mischief Night, National Guard Army. There's a group of rowdy kids, local college kids, all wearing white T-shirts. One guy has a shirt that says, Fight Me, F-I-T-E, me, you know, on there. <laughs> and, uh, like, there's the big, the, the big tag team main event. Dudleys, Eliminators, Gangsters, Balls and Axel are yeah. coming to the ring. Yeah, so balls and axle are coming to the ring with everybody else is in the ring. So these college kids are like, yeah. So balls and axle go over there going, yeah. And a bunch of them grab axle and pull them over the rail and start clubbing on them. <laughs> so the guys in the ring see this. So bad the current goes, fight. The whole locker room clears and this big fucking brawl breaks out in the National Guard Army mischief night. You know, you just see, you know, boom, you know, plowing through. So it spills out to the outside. And this is where Tracy Smothers comes in. Tommy Dreamer is standing there. They called the SWAT team. They called, like, everybody. <laughs> it's nothing Plymouth Meeting's ever seen. Before. I swear to God. <laughs> so there's these cops out there, and they got the guard dogs, and the guard dogs are like, rah, 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 rah. and Tommy Dreamer's like, Hey, I, I, he's like Frank Drebin. Uh, there's nothing to see here. You know, uh, he's like, <laughs> yeah, moving along. Yeah, it's a big misunderstanding. Blah, blah. He's trying to be the baby face to calm the guard dogs and the cops down. And then in his left ear, he, he hears somebody goes, I'll take the dogs. <laughs> and it's Tracy Smothers, and he's wearing nothing but a towel, and he's got shampoo running down his face. He starts shadow boxing the, the dogs, like, oh man, I'll take on the I'll take on a fucking dog. And fucking Tommy Dreamer is like, no, grabs him and then takes him, takes him back into the the building. And uh, the next morning, we're driving to up to uh, Queens. So I meet up with Sign Guy Dudley, who lives out in Gladwin. And we're driving, and we had KYW on here. All right, at a local ECW. Uh, you know, I was like, we made KYW. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on the twos, I love it. Yeah. yeah. For oh. some reason, I'm not. I'm like not surprised to hear that story at all. Oh, we, we, we fought. We had a lot of riots. Um, but you know, <laughs> it, it is what it is. That's, that's where the slap shop part comes in. You know. It was the most perfect Philadelphia thing. I mean, ECW is like, <clears throat> you know, Philly sports fans, they got all the effort and, and authenticity that they were looking for from the Flyers and the Eagles. Um, yeah. But the wins and losses didn't matter. So yeah. it was very easy for them to enjoy. Yeah. I mean, you couldn't have done, you couldn't have done ECW in any other, that any other city, terrible. any other arena. I mean, it was special. That's why when I was writing that Terry Funk obituary this morning, I'm like, I don't really know what the fuck to write because, like, quite honestly, you can't explain Terry Funk unless you unless you <laughs> watched him. You know what I mean? So it was just I have great I have great memories of watching ECW on like Channel 48 or whatever it was back in the day out in out in Monco and um, yeah. 
I hope they do some. Yeah, I mean that's the right thing to do is do some kind of honor mention at, at WrestleMania and like. Yeah. I feel like WWE does a pretty good job with like kind of you know honoring the, the past and whatnot I, I don't have an educated like opinion on that but i feel like they they do that you know so yeah yeah so, and every time they come back to philly there's like always a nod to you know philadelphia-esque stuff and yeah hopefully when they come back for uh wrestlemania uh there's a, a nod to ecw because there's a, i'll say it you know during that uh, Monday Night Wars era, where WCW and ECW, WCW and WWE were battling back and forth, ECW was just a part of that because they borrowed a lot from ECW's ideas. Yeah, the the ECW, the the, the, the thing that hurt the ECW was the exposure because they could do our stuff on a net bigger mm-hmm. basis. So, and if somebody would see us uh, see us do it, they're like, "Oh, that they copied WWE." No, no, we did it first. Yeah. They took it from us. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Some yeah. are saying BWO is before NWO. <laughs> no, I would. <laughs> I would. <laughs> We're close number two. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But the cool thing is, the NWO got NWO guys loved it. Uh, I got to talk to Kevin cool. and Ash and uh, Scott Hall. Yeah. Scott Hall told me he's like, "I used to tell Big Kev all the time. Well, it's the Blue World Order, and he's me." So I should be the leader of the NWO, the new world <laughs> order, you know, <laughs> gentle ribbing, you know, just, yeah. right. but right. yeah, you know, those guys were, you know, they, they, they were really cool with it. I got to talk to each and every one of them and they give the big thumbs up. I don't think Eric Bischoff appreciated it, but, uh, you know, well, yeah. Yeah. Um, I got one more, I got one more before we, before we let sure. you go, just last teed up uh, ECW question. Yeah. Paul Heyman, the day he sells, what was that like? When he sold, when he sold ECW, did you guys feel betrayed? It felt disappointing. Um, we, I always had an inkling that WWE, WWE was, that ECW was kind of like a, you know, a subsidiary of WWE that was just like on the down low. You started noticing when you know Al Snow showed up, they would send draws down, rest in peace draws, uh, draws. Um, uh, Furnace LaFon will come down. They would send some guys, WWE guys, come work in ECW to try to, you know, reinvent themselves so WWE could take them back. That's when you kind of start learning that, you know, Paul was showing up at meetings. And uh, apparently, then, you know, once I got to WWE, JR smart me up that, like, you know, Vince was sending ECW money. Hmm. So, but the official shutdown was like hard to believe because. ECW was still performing in front of uh, packed houses. Mm-hmm. We, we, they did two nights in a row at the Hammerstein Ballroom, sold out. People, it was it was like an ACDC video, you know, thunderstruck. You know, people just hanging mm-hmm. from the, you know, the the balconies. So you see Paul show up and rolling. You're like, what the fuck? You know, yeah. you, at first I'm thinking this might be a temporary thing because Jerry Lawler had just been let go. Maybe they needed somebody to fill in. But uh, then, yeah. you know, and then the word started to spread. And I guess the one big disappointment thing other than, you know, ECW closing was the fact that, you know, they had just run Philadelphia two weeks before their last show in Pine Bluff, Arkansas. No offense to Pine Bluff, Arkansas. But if you're going to pull the plug, pull the plug in Philly. Have the last <laughs> show happen at yeah. the ECW arena. You know? so, wow. Yeah, no so disrespect let- to any of the Arkansans who might be listening to the show, but right. I mean, Pine, Pine Bluff is not a, 
I'll go on the record. I'll say fuck Pine Bluff. Okay. Yeah. Sorry if we lost. Sorry if we lost the one. Somebody had Bluff. to say it, but yeah. yeah. Hey, where where in West Virginia was that first show set of shows that you were telling us about? Oh my God, that was <laughs> a long time ago. Okay, so my favorite gimmick. No, 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 here's I wrestled for MEWF yeah. in Baltimore. Then I did a show in a horse barn in West Virginia. <laughs> yeah. yeah, where the ring broke. I, I I started my career as the zebra kid, Brian Rollins. I'm just making, trying to make town. It was my first, I got paid 80 bucks for that show. I thought I was fucking rich. And uh, I did a tag match and then they were, had this battle royal at the end of the night, but the ring broke. So we had to do a reverse battle royal where the first person in the ring won the battle royal. So all these, all these professional wrestlers who entered a ring had to pretend they never entered a ring before in their life. They're like, uh, come get me, come get me, come get me. You know, this <laughs> it was a big clusterfuck. But uh, I, was, I was just laughing about the West Virginia thing because like I went to school out there, but I remember like five or ten years ago, there was this guy who used to do the circuit in West Virginia, and his his gimmick was that he was like a liberal. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and he'd wear like Hillary Clinton like tights. Dude, or I just I just I know him. I just met like uh <laughs> Shout out to my boy Matt McCormick, who's a wrestler. And he brought, oh my God, his name's escaping. He was the like progressive liberal. liberal. Like he was the, the progressive liberal. Yeah, yeah. I have no lips. I can't talk. Progressive liberal. The progressive liberal. And his finish is at the ACW Arena a couple weeks ago, just hanging out. He just came <laughs> to hang out with my boy Matt, who comes up, you know, the, who used to wrestle, they came up and we just. Yeah. Out bullshit all yeah, day. that's like, fine. Well, he'll have to be the next wrestler that we get on this show, the progressive liberal. Sure. Uh, <laughs> then we'll make sure we get a conservative one too, just to, to balance it all out. You got to balance it out. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. we're fair. Uh, yes. Meany, <laughs> man. Thank you so much for coming on. We really, oh, really thanks. appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me. Uh, love you guys. You know, I love Hey, man, what's your, um, you, you do your own podcast too, right? Yes. Uh, if you would like to listen to me uh, talk about a little bit of everything, I talk, you know, Mind of the Meany drops every monday morning we talk about music movie sports wrestling and tons of useless knowledge uh if you would like to uh support the blue meanie go to pro wrestling slash blue meanie get yourself a bwo shirt uh you know uh i got a video game that's coming out april of not my video game but i'm in a video game that's coming out april 24 april of 2024 it's called ultra pro wrestling go to ultra pro wrestling.com uh and that'll yep there's my socials uh uh it's gonna be like a kind of like no mercy yeah if you remember those old n64 games no yeah. mercy wsw revenge wrestlemania okay. 2000 it's gonna be like that but uh yeah go to mindofmeanie.com uh listen to uh the podcast go to wrestlingtees.com uh kind enough to buy a shirt you know and then uh check out ultraprowrestling.com are you doing any indie circuits anywhere? Or are you going to any shows or anything? That you'll be I'm, doing, I'm doing more conventions now because they hurt less. Um, this, and next Thursday, I'll be going out to Chicago for uh, StarCast, cool. um, big wrestling convention. I'll be out there representing Ultra Pro Wrestling for uh, the video game and stuff like that. But I do like a lot more conventions. October 28th, there's going to be a convention here at the uh, old ECW Arena, 2300 Arena, cool. uh, Icons of Wrestling. Uh, they're going to have like a Halloween theme. So, you know, you come meet Papa Shango and, yes. uh, you know, a couple, you know, oh, yeah. a, a bunch of cool legends. And then they have a show that night. I'm going to, I'm trying to work. My Mrs. Meany's helping me on the outfit that, you know, I can't disclose yet for yeah. that convention. Are we so, bringing Zebra Kid back? 
Oh, oh yeah, I got super good tights right over there, man. I'm, I'm bringing it back, baby. Yeah. I love it. I love it. All right, Meanie, appreciate you, man. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Go Birds. Thanks, Go Brian. Birds. Go Birds, man. I'll see you. Cool. Love All it, right. man. Awesome. I was going to do an immaculate grid, but I know we already went over about 22 minutes, so That's we're good. Yeah, No, that was fun, man. Brian's cool. Brian's an OG. Good dude. Good stuff from T-Mac as well. That was a good show. That was a good broadcast. Yeah, sorry about the technical difficulties for anyone that was listening in the beginning. We'll try to get them better on the uh, on the old uh, uh, podcast form. Uh, anything you're looking forward to before we head out of here between Colts and Eagles? Just for the preseason to be over. Okay. Yeah, and then we can uh, get, to, get to some real football here. I mean, we've been talking with a wrestler. I want a heel turn from Jonathan Taylor, and I want him to walk over to the sidelines of the Eagles mid-game. Oh, yeah. yeah. it's, it's the four-year anniversary of Andrew Luck uh, retiring, so <laughs> that would be amazing if like they just trade him for like a seventh-rounder and I'm, Jonathan Taylor just goes to the locker room. I am glad that we did a whole 80 minutes, uh, 70 minutes, without mentioning Jonathan Taylor. I thought that was good. Uh, well, what are your thoughts on Trey Lance? I'm not gonna start. I mean, so what? what are you, I, don't know. <laughs> I can't. Just, you gonna trade? I mean, that's a WIP thing. Though. You gonna trade Marcus Mariota for Trey Lance? Why the fuck would the Niners do that? Oh God! What a what I a was fucking... trying to avoid that. So, hey, I was doing everything in my power to avoid that. So I'd rather talk about James Harden than uh, Trey Lance right now. Ooh, damn! But that's for that's next Tuesday. That's when you know it's real. All right, Kev. I will. Uh, I'll talk to you. Pray for me. I am. Uh, I'm at a family reunion this weekend. Oh, with, enjoy. With my degenerate cousins from Portland, Maine. Just the typical New Englanders. Great town, Portland. Honestly, oh, God, it is. Yeah. It really is. It really is a good town. It really is a good town. All so, right, good show. Good show, everybody. I'll talk to you, buddy. Thanks, everybody, for uh, tuning in. I think I can end it here. Shout out Ford. Oh, I'll end it. I can end it here. You want okay. To it? Yeah, all right. All shout right. out to Ford. Shout, shout out to everybody in the chat. 